0: Hi, I'm Cam.
1: And I'm Katie.
0: And this is the Nerd Book Review.
1: In today's episode, I will not be taking part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we will have our very first guest, a buddy of mine named Barry Smith.
1: Yeah, a very uh, incognito name. It sounds like it's made up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? But Barry is an awesome guy. And here in this moment, we will get into the recording.
1: Yeah, I uh, did not do this one because I just didn't have time to read it. It is one I would have liked to read, so I probably will sometime soon. So I'll go ahead and read the Goodreads uh, synopsis.
0: Was that a question?
1: (laughs) Yeah. In this pulse-quickening novel, Alfred Bester imagines a future in which people jaunt a thousand miles with a single thought, where the rich barricade themselves in labyrinths and protect themselves with radioactive hitmen and where an inarticulate outcast is the most valuable and dangerous man alive. The Star's My Destination is a classic of technological prophecy and timeless narrative enchantment by an acknowledged master of science fiction. Oh, man. Yeah, and it was originally named Tiger Tiger, as I got from the only part I read, which was the foreword by Neil Gaiman.
0: Yes. <laughs> Alrighty then, we hope you enjoy. Have fun. Hi. I am Cam, and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Barry J. Smith. Actually, I can't prove that J is part of it.
2: It's Barry R. D. Smith. I'm Barry <laughs> Robert Davis Smith. You know, uh, uh. too a little, too much personal information there, but that's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, but where this is still the Nerd Book Review. Sans Katie, who did not read the book with us, but go ahead, Barry. What book are we reading today? We read The
2: Star's My Destination, and I am the guest star today, (laughs) and by guest star, I mean I'm a very dim dwarf star, but (laughs) since we're talking about stars, we'll talk about a very great science fiction classic.
0: Yeah, uh, our author is Alfred Bester. Uh, A little bit about Alfred. Uh, He was born way back in 1913 and died in 1987, so... This classic is clearly quite old, at uh, 1956 to be precise. So, what should we know about it, Barry? Well, this book—I'm um, more of a science fiction guy. This
2: thing popped out of me. I'm not the biggest fantasy guy because yeah. here's the way I see it: you know, fantasy makes up magic. Science fiction um, puts science in the magic. You know, <laughs> that's a really arrogant way to put it. Yeah, but, but you still, know, it's I a... like—I like dragons and all that other stuff too. But this unlike a lot of other science fiction books in that time period really puts grit into the genre it puts it makes a dirty ugly future rather than the hope for a you know, like future utopia with great governments and then you still deal with a few problems you are dealing with a very ugly gritty world and a very ugly gritty dislikable or unlikable I don't know. Is "dislikeable" a word? Eh, sounds good. All right. All right. We'll go. With, we'll go with it. You know, I'd use it in Scrabble. So, you know, <laughs> does that even have enough letters? Okay, it's more than know. eight letters. Whatever. So, our um, main character. So you're talking about? Okay, Gully Foyle is our main character. Yeah. He has no education. He is a normal person. He isn't a scientist or an astronaut or anybody from a royal family like Dune. He is your general nobody who is lost. Who is scuttled on a tiny spaceship in yep. the middle of space at yeah. the beginning of the novel?
0: That whole him being stranded is going to be the like the whole catalyst for the entire rest of the book. Like his single-minded quest for revenge for the people that left him behind. That's going to be what moves the entire book forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing that you actually told me about, but then I I read in through uh, Neil Gaiman, who writes the foreword for this book, is that this is actually based on the Count of Monte Cristo. And that's what he used as his, like, inspiration. It was was kind of interesting.
2: I haven't read the book, you know, maybe I should do book reviews if I haven't read that (laughs) classic. I don't know, but... I watched the movie recently, yeah. you know, and you know they it was I was on a honeymoon in Marseille, France, you know, and they, who knows? They filmed the movie in Marseille, France. Interesting city. It's like the Portland of Europe, if you ask me. But yeah, very dirty. It's a dirty, gritty town. Is it really kind of like Portland? Yeah, huh. Dirty, yeah. gritty, French, good food. Lots of garbage everywhere. There was a garbage strike in Marseille, France, a few years back, where no one was picking garbage up. You can tell how stinky a French town can get with <laughs> nobody picking the garbage up.
0: Yeah, and actually, Katie and I will be in Marseille this summer when we go on our uh, on our oh. tour.
2: Oh, really? Well, yeah. yeah. You gotta ask for some more. I, I got a place for you. But anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway. So, uh, getting back like into the main like thing here is that like I think that the important thing with this book for like why people might want to still read it. Is that it's not dated. The like a lot of sci-fi is hokey, like the old like 1950s sci-fi. As we said, this is 1956, and because it's dated, they'll have stupid technology that might have seemed cool, like the House of the Future at like the World's Fair. Mm-hmm. But that's not the kind of stuff that that you have to deal with in this book. Well, it's not the idea of finding
2: aliens and like the interesting idea of discovering a new alien race. Nothing to be found in this book at
0: all. Yeah, and it's not, and and technology is not the the main focus. Um, something that we we're just gonna get into. It's it's a spoiler, but it's like the whole premise of the entire book. This book came out in 1956. Yeah, so you know, it, get over it. Yeah. So people have discovered the ability to teleport. They call it jaunting. You can move up a thousand miles is the absolute max, and people are actually based instead of being. Like, your class system is almost based on how far you can jaunt. Like, if you you can't jaunt at all, then you're basically worthless to society. (laughs) And if you can only jaunt, like, 50 miles, well, then you have to jaunt a whole lot more times than someone who can jaunt the maximum of a 1,000 miles. And so, I think because of that, like, flying cars don't exist. Um, People don't even have to worry about cell phones or anything like that because why would you need to worry about a cell phone when you can just jaunt to talk to somebody? Mm-hmm. and so like i think that because of that like the tech's not dated you know
2: mm-hmm. the tech isn't yeah like cameron said the tech is not the focus the focus is the characters and by characters i mean mainly the main character gully Foyle. Yep. it's very very character driven they focus on his like we talked about his revenge but there's much more to it than the revenge, you know. He he starts off with revenge and he keeps with that theme, but there's other themes that come in too. This is a character who, I mean, we'll talk about this more later, but he is a wrecking ball. He wants to destroy this world that he's in. And he's you know, in in my opinion, he's kind of like Heath Ledger's Joker in a way. He wants to dis- he wants to watch the world burn like Alfred said. <laughs> yeah. However, yeah. you empathize with him because unlike Batman's world, at least before the plot starts, it's a very bad world. We actually, at least in Batman, you fix your figure. It's kind of a nice world before the Joker starts his crime. Mm-hmm. Sure, there's those crime bosses, but whatever. Uh, but no, this is a very ugly world ruled by corporations. Um, if you're poor, you're going to stay poor. I mean, it's not a pretty place to be. It's not a pretty place to live. And... You know, when this guy wants to bring a wrecking ball to this world, you just want to see how he's going to do it.
0: Yeah, and so let's, like, that's something that keeps it very modern, too, is that, you know, the kind of the big social problem of our time is, what's the word I'm looking for? Income inequality. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, the income inequality that, that we're dealing with right now, where the people in the middle are getting poorer, the people that are rich are getting richer, and... So it's something that even today that we can, you know, you that that problem is going to go back, you know, in throughout time. So right now it's still just as relevant as it was during that time period. In fact, it's probably more relevant now than it actually was at that time period because at that time if you were part of the middle class, you were it was probably about as good as you know, in, in the American dream ever could be. I mean, if you were a, a white uh, middle class American, you know, that was probably the best time period in history for you in terms of, you know, your level of prosperity compared to others. So, but it's funny because of that. So, the, this is something I thought was really funny to me, the, and, and did kind of date it, but at the same time was just more humorous than anything, was that, like, the big families are the Sears Robux, the Kodaks, like, the the, the big corporations of, you know, the 1950s. Like, they become, like, wealthy industrial families who basically run feudal empires of their own, and the richer you are, you don't actually jaunt. the the main He's not really a the main bad guy. But the, the one of the rich families. His he whole, doesn't he, jaunt. He doesn't jaunt. In fact, when he does end up having to jaunt at one point, it's the first time he has in thirty years. And he he speaks on a rotary telephone because he's rich enough that he can have. He'll call somebody, and then they'll jaunt to talk to him. But he actually calls them on a on the telephone. You know. Yeah, why would he jaunt? That's too much effort. Yeah, it's not I'm, only is it too much I'm rich, effort. Why jaunt? Yeah, he's got, they've got like servants who are wearing their you know, their gear, like
2: Lots of money, lots of power, and you're gonna see something you find later in the book. Gully has another secret other than his will to have revenge on these people. He carries another secret with him a very great power that he's going to use to upend a lot of the power that these main corporations have. Yeah. Now, while this book has not dated in a lot of ways, there are a few in parts of it that have been dated. I must add, such as the treatment of women. Now, a lot of the women in the book are—they're slightly feminist. They have power. They—they're scheming. They—they they aren't controlled by men. But then you all have some women at the same time. They are kind of controlled and subservient yeah. to men. And you do have where the main character does rape a female. He uh, also, you know, he slaps women. He treats them horribly. This is something you would not put in a modern book at no. all. You know, he already is a gritty, terrible character. So, it, but there's a lot of antiheroes in today's TV and literature yeah. that do the same thing. It doesn't doesn't ruin their compellingness as a character either. No. But
0: and and something and going back to what Barry just said about the that there's a rape. There there might even be multiple rapes. I can't remember. But this is something that, that in 1956, it's implied. Like, they don't even actually directly say that he rapes her. She mentions it later on, you know, like, that it had happened or that he forced himself mm-hmm. on her. But there's no descriptive rape or I don't even know if there's ever, like, a real descriptive murder scene or anything like that either, like, of what actually happens. But it just says that it happened. You know, like, it's implied that something that if this book has had been written by, like, George R R Martin today... Then he would have spent several pages describing the rape. And that doesn't happen in this book. Mm-hmm.
2: It's a it's a fairly short book. What does it come in? Let me guess, let me guess. I'm gonna just look at that and say two hundred and seventy four pages. What do you Ooh, think? I don't think don't look, don't look.
0: It was either two fifty six or two fifty eight.
2: Alright. 258 oh wow well, so yeah I, w- so, I was a pretty good guess on my part yeah yeah so it's not i could uh, work in a carnival a book <laughs> carnival sometime yeah
0: so it's not going to take you forever to read it is a really quick entertaining read for me for sure um so let's get into our main character gully foil a little bit we already talked about barry right off the bat that he's basically he's uneducated he doesn't have any special skills he i think that they when they actually go to like look at his background like the authorities he is average in every way it, it seems like except that he is just so driven that he controls his destiny in certain ways just by sheer will alone you're absolutely right Cameron there's a lot of instances where that
2: will just seems to just his willpower is almost a character in itself
0: yeah it really is well I mean, it kind of becomes a character, almost, you know... You're going to take a trip
2: in this book inside of this character's mind, literally. Yeah,
0: yeah you really... Yeah. Okay, yeah. not
2: literally. Basketball LeBron James is not literally on fire. You're going to get pretty close <laughs> to being inside of his mind.
0: Yeah, though.
2: yeah. The tattoos are pretty sweet, you know. Tattoos weren't hip in the 50s. Maybe, I had tattoos are hip now. Of course, tiger tattoos on the face. Oh, I'll give that away, whatever. Get over it.
0: Yeah, okay, so talking about the tiger tattoos... I, it's important to, I guess, kind of talk about how it gets there. Also, we've talked about, like, how basically rich industrial families, they are the law. Like, they control the planet. There's no, like, larger government than the industrial families. So, Earth has, been colonized, well, uh, Earth has been colonized. Earth, obviously, still has people on it. Then the moon has been colonized and Mars. And then, like, some of the moons, like Europa... Um, and then a lot of a lot of uh, asteroids. Also, there's a war going on between the inner planets and the outer planets. And so that's part of the whole intrigue here, too, because Gully gets left out by like what he, by the one of the major industrial families. Like they leave him on his derelict spaceship.
2: They used him as bait. Yeah. And without spoiling it, well, I mean, you'll figure out why he's where he is. I don't want to spoil that part because it's, it's a very important plot. At the yeah, end. it
0: really is. That's that's something we shouldn't give away. But... But, yeah, so they get... Uh, he he manages to get this ship working, and he goes to this crazy asteroid. It's like a large asteroid where a group of scientists like 200 years before had gotten stranded on the asteroid... And so now they've basically gone native, like, back to, like, the savages of the... that you would see in a book, you know, in something of this time period, basically. They've tattooed themselves. They they have, like, a pseudo-religion that's, like, s- kind of science, but they don't really know what the science is anymore. And they tattoo Gully when he lands there. And it's like a tiger tattoo. And that's kind of what Barry was talking about. That Like, it beca- basically becomes a character of its own, the tattoo does. And so even after he manages to get the tattoo removed, every time he gets angry or shows any emotion, he gets like subcutaneous scarring that flares bright red and then becomes, that shows when he's a savage again. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's very descriptive of his character. It's a very great symbol for his character. He is so driven he he doesn't see life as a, other than his own is a sacred thing he's willing to kill strand any other person he encounters to get to what he wants
0: yeah and he leaves people behind it's not really even a question of whether he's gonna leave people behind he's just like well i can either maybe get caught and not achieve what my goal is if i help you out or i can just bail on you so i'm gonna bail on you and he never really even worries about it. He is a product of the society, though, that he doesn't have any sentimentality, but no one has a sentimentality in this book. Look at, like, the the huge, these industrial families. Like, they talk about how they choose new heads. Like, they basically indoctrinate them for years, you know? They do, I think they even say they do, like, surgeries to make them look like the previous person, so it's like a con- continuous-looking thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And people aren't like there's no talk of social welfare programs like they talk about the vagrants that jaunt with just staying ahead of the darkness you know and if your you get your compound gets breached by those vagrants then they just rape and murder everybody and steal everything of value mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's not like a police force that's trying to stop those mm-hmm. people yeah. like you it's you if you're, if you're st- not smart enough or prepared enough to keep yourself safe well, then it sucks to be you because you're screwed.
2: It's very important in this novel that if you're going to jaunt, you need to know your calculations, right? Because yeah. there is a jaunt-proof prison. Gully Foyle may or may not end up going to the jaunt-proof p- prison in the first <laughs> half of the novel yeah. for an- another reason. But you, you can jaunt out of your jail cell. But if you don't, without precise calculations, a lot of people jaunt themselves into the thick concrete and there's getting, no getting out of that
0: yeah the the way that the rich or anybody even like keeps themselves safe is they basically create mazes around their houses so that you can't jaunt in and and know the exact coordinates of what's going on and then they move those mazes around like frequently so like Barry said you have to know your coordinates exactly so you need to have been to a place that you are going to jaunt you know, and not jaunt into somebody else, like, that can happen, too. So, like, the prison that he's talking about, it's completely dark, and it's underground, like, in a deep fissure or something like that, and so there's zero light the entire time, so you can't ever really get, you can't visualize what, where you're at, because that's what you do to jaunt, right, is you just absolutely visualize it in your mind, so you need to have been there, and you need to be able to see where you are now and where you're going. Mm-hmm. However, mankind
2: has not had the ability to space jaunt up to this point yet. It's no. all restricted to Earth.
0: That's basically the only limitation right now is that you ha- you can only jaunt a thousand miles max if you can, you know, if, for everyone that can jaunt. And almost everyone can jaunt. Like, it's not, like a few pe- it's not a Superman-like power. In fact, you're the dregs of society if you can't jaunt
2: and there's one character, one female character at the beginning who meets Gallywell. She's kind of an outcast because she's only a one-way one-way telepath. Is another big theme in this. You can read people's minds as well. Yeah, and, and not, you can and send messages to people through that your mind.
0: That one yeah, and that one's a lot rarer, but I think it was the same kind of like thi- like, the, like the like the jaunting, like opening your mind up is what made that, you know, an ability for some people, but it's definitely more rare because I don't think I re- even remember anyone else projecting is what it's called. I think. Right. Tele- the yes. tele- yeah. Projecting. So like, she's worthless and not like special because, or I guess she's not worthless, but she's she- not worthless to <laughs> Gully Foyle. He has a purpose for her. Yes, absolutely. But you don't, uh, but she's more than one. Yes, but she's not like special in their society because she can only do that one way. I don't think everybody can, but like, but only being able to project your thoughts into somebody else isn't a big, isn't very good. I mean, I guess if you were like a, a family head and you could just be like, you servant, go do this, then it would be like worthwhile. But if you're not rich, then it's not
2: mm-hmm. one other part of this book that is incredibly ahead of its time is their use of um, cybernetic implants in the second half of the book. You see Gullyfoil Oh, yeah. Somehow ends up he ends up. I'm not going to tell you how, but he ends up being pretty well off he ends up in a very good situation and um he is able to like not only get rid of his tattoos he already has those but he's he's able to reform his body like put like cybernetic implants into his Mm -hmm. body reform his nervous system and this makes him a much more powerful person and you're going to see this a lot more with like william gibson novels in the like early 80s and that's going to lead into more of that, like, what they call cyberpunk movement that comes during that time period. You're going to see a lot of hints of it, and of al- this ugly time period that is kind of, like, almost visionary of Alfred Bester. Well, to- it, it
0: it absolutely is visionary of Alfred Bester because Neil Gaiman himself actually in the foreword says that Alfred Bester is the father of cyberpunk. Like, that he's the inspiration For a lot of that, even though he's not really writing, you know, like true cyberpunk. He's one of the few people that the old sci fi people and then like the big revival in the 80s that everyone loved him and talks about his works because of that. Which is funny too, because he really only writes two novels that are that actually are any good his entire time. But those two novels are so important to everybody. Mm -hmm.
2: The other one being The Demolished Man, which, you know, I could talk more about that one. It has a lot of similar themes to this it's an ugly world you're dealing with a like very rich okay a lot of the same characters very ugly driven character that you have a very rich um ceo who in a time with telepathy wants to commit a murder but how do you commit a murder when people can read your, your mind oh yeah. So I mean I don't know, I don't want to turn this book review into that. But the Demolished Man's another good book. It really display it's another example of Alfred Bester's like ugly yet beautiful writing style. His writing style really is you could pick it out of a police lineup, couldn't you, Cameron?
0: I mean, I haven't read any of his other books, but the fact that the way that he writes the way he writes, I think makes it so that it doesn't matter that it's a 70-year-old book. You're not dealing with like Dick Tracy style. You know, like, hey there, dame. You know, like, that's not something that's in this. Just the way he writes is so straightforward and and dark and gritty. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that that dark and grittiness is what makes it, you know, it, it, that's what's in vogue again now, you know? So because of that, then it, it feels like that's what people are, like, th- it doesn't seem old because of that, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Yeah. And I'm a person who enjoys like the high-headed science fiction of exploring new ideas and civilizations and high-headed concepts, but you know, this book just I don't know, just explores like on the base level what it means to be a human. Yeah. You're getting inside the basic desires of a human being and what they can do.
0: The it, being in your own head is so such a big deal in this book. It's it's all about really the human psyche and the human soul in, you know, in terms of this. Like it's not about like, this isn't a sci-fi book about, like, technology. I mean, there's technology, but that's not the, the thing of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's I think that's why this book is still so relevant to, to today, is that it doesn't have the things that take you out of the book. Mm-hmm. Even, like, looking back at, like, just some of these, they're going to be dated because of the way the tech is described, you know, in some mm-hmm. of them, but that's not the, what happens here. Yeah. And... And the funny thing, I think even like when they talk about the cybernetics that, that Gully gets, doesn't it like talk about like a heads up display, like basically like he just or he's able to just imagine it like what he wants when he wants to dial up the power or things like that. Like it's not it's it is is in his mind, you know, like mm-hmm. and they talk about like how, you know, people are going to be getting like implants or like contact lenses that will, you know, have heads up displays and things like that. Like it's going in a way that we actually really are going, you know, mm hmm so
2: totally um yeah there's a lot more a lot of the the author spends a lot more time describing the character's mind because a whole part of it once he becomes well off i mean it's like it's a like a, almost like poetry how he's describing this circus that gully Foyle has created li- literally and figuratively at the same time in his mind with yeah. the vast resources he finds himself in and that and just kicks off the second half of the book with a bang.
0: Oh, yeah. Just think crazy over-the-top circus slash show, like P.T. Barnum and his circus on massive steroids riding onto Earth on a spaceship, you know? And just as crazy as you could possibly think and as flamboyant and as much showmanship, you know? This shows, though, his drivenness, though, throughout the whole book that if I got that rich... There, I mean, I wouldn't care. To be astly honest with you, once I made it to that asteroid and they said I was going to have a new wife every month, I probably would have been like, "Well, looks like my quest for revenge is over. I'm going to stick. i just going to stay here." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't but, have left either. You know, but, but I mean, he, it takes him approximately thirty seconds to decide. Well, no, I don't think there's ever a conscious decision. But it takes him about 30 seconds before he tries to escape, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he there isn't any thought of like, "Oh, yep, this sounds like a good life. They're going to yeah. give me a new woman every month."
2: Yeah. I don't know if we were perfectly clear with you, like he's he's exacting revenge on a certain individual, you find out later who it is and why it happened. But like this person saw him stranded on this uh don't derelict say. spaceship and decided not to help him and left him. He wants revenge of this person for being given the opportunity to save him and they leave him to die where he was in the middle of space.
0: Yeah, he's trying to get revenge and that's all he cares about for most of the book. That's what drives the story forward is his revenge. One thing I I wanted to talk about, though is that we talk about how the social angst and our social ills of society are you know still main themes today but there's two big things i thought that were not there that do slightly date the book in that like there's no talk of global warming like that's not an issue or you know over harvesting of resources and there's no talk of overpopulation so I think those were two like things that, that you would have seen in a in a book today, you know, a sci-fi book today. I don't think that that can just completely be explained away by people having moved out to the stars. I think that those weren't things that were a, an issue, you know, in 1956. So they're just not something that he would think about at that time mm-hmm. that are things that today would be in almost any dystopian book.
2: That's a very good point. Yeah, that is a theme that was left out. Um one of the last chapters of the book, I'm not going to tell you what happens or how you get there, but you're going to see something that you don't see in many other books. You're going to see this... You're almost looking at pictures within the book, and it's not like a picture book, not like a graphic novel or everything. He's The character is like using letters as pictures. He's not writing side to side like your English teacher would like you to. These letters are all over the page. Their fonts are big and small and there's symbols and it's describing like a chaotic like almost i think this is the this is the climax of the book really but it's describing a chaotic scene in his mind that really is not taking place in much time at all it's almost like a split second in i don't know how many pages you can even see like pictures of trees and it's It truly, it's the most memorable chapter in the book in my mind. Without giving an end away, the reader gets a little satisfaction out of the theme that we were talking about earlier, is this character bringing a wrecking ball to this awful world that he lives in. Mm -hmm. He basically takes this big bag of peanuts that the rich families have, and he just, he takes it and he scatters it (laughs) across the entire floor. Yeah. And that's what we're left with at the end of the book. We're not left with like some inspiration, really. We're not left with like uh, an, a terrible amount of resolution, but we're left with the beauty that he kind of achieved a lot of his goals and is able to, in my opinion, bring down or at least do a large part in leading to tearing down the power that a lot of these corporations have in dictating everything that happens in this world
0: yeah well you're you're right that we're not left with a lot of resolution but i still felt like it was a hopeful ending even though clearly things aren't going to be hunky-dory because of, of the ending but i still felt like that if we don't destroy ourselves that it's going to be you know a hopeful ending I mean, trying to figure out the, like the right way to say that. Like, there's the potential for society to become better because of what he does.
2: Yeah, there is. Sometimes it's, hope it's not... is the best thing that you could possibly have because there's really no hope earlier. And he kind of, the character kind of gives hope to many people in the universe who otherwise wouldn't have hope with the acts that he does at the end of the book. Yeah. He has a choice to kind of go along with the corporations, or do what he really wants to do and burn them to the ground, he decides the latter.
0: Yeah. First off, I really feel like, without giving away, like, outright spoilers, that a 70-year-old book were a little bit different to for giving out some spoilers compared to most of these books that where we've been trying to read, you know, that are, like, a year too old for a lot of them, or, like, no more than five or six, yeah. you know? You're gonna, you can pause it and fast-forward a little bit if you don't want to have a spoiler. Yeah. He's... A wrecking ball that society needs he doesn't he's not trying to save society he's not Trump by any means
2: <laughs> but, maybe we should edit out that political part I don't
0: know maybe but he's not he's not out trying to be a hero like there is he is literally just a savage for a good part of this book he speaks like a savage he doesn't use anywhere close more like pigeon English you know he's clearly not trying to be a hero I don't think he ever really truly can be considered a villain either because he really was wronged. That's a big thing in this book is that he really deals that best... Is it Bester? Yeah. Bester really deals in greys. Like he doesn't... He's not an absolutist. No one's absolutely evil and no one's absolutely good. The industrialists aren't really evil. They just don't give a shit about anybody but themselves. They don't care one bit about anybody but themselves. So it's not like they're actively... Torturing people, or you know, or like they're not going out there on purpose trying to ground people into the dust. They just don't care if you do. You can consider that evil, but it's it's more of like evil by indifference, you know.
2: There's there's, I mean, you're you're going you're gonna die if you don't uh, if you're not selfish in this book. If you're in this world, you're just gonna die if you're or live an incredibly impoverished life. There's just no other way to really succeed. There's no. Humanitarian way to live a good life at this point in this no. book, um, and but our our main character Gully Foyle, I think at the end of the novel, he, despite his many many faults throughout the book, finds some level of humanity in his body. There's some shard of humanity and selflessness that he gets
0: near the end of the novel with the experiences that he goes through yeah i mean i think that's what gives the the book its hope you know so something that we do um in our and i'm more describing this the barry is that we do a recommendation phase so the did we like the book um how did we think it made us feel would we recommend it to others uh, Katie and I do a five-star rating system. You don't have to. You can choose whatever rating you personally want to do.
2: Five stars. Okay. Five <laughs> stars, kids. That's what you get. It's a great book. Great writing. Great great world that he creates. And it's stood the test of time. Is it the best book that's been ever made? I'm not going to make that uh, argument. But um, some people who don't like some grittiness, there's some ugly parts. You may not like it. It is almost more of an action book at times too, so it's not going to spend long times talking about themes or ideas or philosophies. It's a fast-paced action book. At the end of the day, I find.
0: Yeah, um, but but going back to the the dark and gritty, like that's kind of what's in today, you know, is mm-hmm. the dark and gritty again. And Katie and I, especially now having a obviously only a toddler, so he's not going to be reading anything anytime soon. But but with the, who the main audience is and who shouldn't shouldn't read it. I don't really think though with you saying it's dark and gritty that there's anybody who shouldn't be able to read it. Like if you're a teenager and you're able to understand the concepts and deal with the concepts, it's not going to stop you. You know, there, I don't think that there's ever a, a descriptive rape scene. Like I said, it's Im- the violence is implied. The scenes literally not described at all. It just later on says it happened, you know. So there's no issues for parents, I don't think, with them not you know, not letting a, a younger teen read this book if you think they can handle it. Mm-hmm. For me, I kinda felt like it it was kinda depressing in that I can see society going that way, you know, I mean in terms of that the corporations take over and I don't know that we're ever gonna have the jaunting that's gonna be, you know, the equalizer mm-hmm. there there's still hope so it doesn't it's not like it makes you feel like terrible but it's kind of depressing to think about that a little bit Mm. i personally am gonna give it a four star i know that's crazy but like i'm not the the biggest sci-fi you know guy in the world i thought this was an entertaining book but like i said i don't necessarily like i'm not gonna say it was the best novel ever either but it was a it was a really good novel. i mean a four star is not a bad rating you know like but for me I think maybe because it was only 258 pages long. I think if it was longer for me, you know, and a little bit more, I like it a little bit more in depth, but I still really like the book. I mean, you know, a four star rating, but I'm just saying that for me, like, I, you're a, this is a sci fi classic. So for you, who is a huge sci fi fan, obviously this is, you know, Neil Gaiman wrote the foreword for this book, you know, and said that this was influential for him. And I mean, I could probably throw a four and a half star if we're being serious, especially with the way I've been pretty leaning on rating things. A four and a half star ought to be my real rating, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, it's probably sacrilegious that I'm not giving it a five star for for these for you know for like real hardcore.
2: Well, there there's a lot of really hardcore science fiction fans that w- didn't really like this book. Yeah. You know, it wasn't as I'm not going to say they're the arrogant fans, of course, but you know, yeah, like like cameron said you know some some, a lot of science fiction fans like more descriptive worlds that deal with like larger themes larger political intrigue uh there's i mean it's not the most intelligent book in the world per se i mean it's a little intelligent there's some intelligence you know if you're an intelligent person you'll get more out of it than someone who isn't but yeah it's there's more intelligent books that could be debated for longer than this book. I mean, this book, it's what is stated in the book is fairly face value. What you see in this character is what you get in this character. He isn't representative of a larger theme.
0: But the thing is is that it's not corny in any way. It's worth reading. It's a quick read, so it's not like it's gonna take you, you know, a couple weeks to read this. You can read this if you had an afternoon or two, you know, where Mm -hmm. you weren't doing anything else. Then you can read it then. Um, There's still things that are relevant, like the class struggle thing. It's not like there's no no message. There's there's a clear message. So Barry gave it a, a resounding five star. I gave it. I'm gonna go with a four and a half star. Let's be honest, Katie and I have been pretty generous in our ratings, so I feel like giving this one only a four star would be a little bit uh, mean to it. I think it's probably a real four star for me, but since I gave a book that I didn't even necessarily like a three and a half star, I feel real bad only giving this one a four. I want to thank Barry for coming on. In two weeks, Katie and I will be back on together. We're probably going to be regularly having guests from here on out. I think that Barry hopefully will become a guest again. This was a lot of fun. We had a good dinner. The dog loves Barry, and he actually plays with the dog. <laughs> Anything else? Anything you want to say here to end things off?
2: Oh, uh, this is a quick book. Just check it out. It's a good, plain read. You can read it in your whole flight. It's, I mean, it, the pages fly. Yeah. And you just want to find out what happens next at every turn, and at the end, you're just gonna be, you're just left with a myriad of emotions you feel happy you feel sad you feel hopeful you feel a little depressed about how things still are kind of like being a human being i guess yeah
0: all right well thank you very much thank you very much for having me on cameron you bet i hope you enjoyed our episode with barry we will be back in two weeks with six of crows and it will be katie and i doing it
1: yep i'll be back
0: yes she will so, let's go ahead and give you the Goodreads synopsis.
1: Criminal prodigy Kaz Brecker has been offered wealth beyond his wildest dreams, but to claim it, he'll have to pull off a seemingly impossible heist, break into the notorious ice court, a military stronghold that has never been breached, retrieve a hostage who could unleash magical havoc on the world, and survive long enough to collect his reward and spend it. Kaz needs a crew desperate enough to take on this suicide mission and dangerous enough to get the job done. And he knows exactly who. Six of the deadliest outcasts the city has to <laughs> offer. Together, they just might be unstoppable. If they don't kill each other first. Yeah, that real poor. Yeah. Poorly written. A
0: little bit rough on the punctuation there in the Goodreads synopsis.
1: Yeah, but uh, the book wasn't, so there's that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so once again, Six of Crows by...
1: Lee Bardugo.
0: Lee Bardugo.
1: Which I believe is another... from the spelling is a female.
0: Yes, it is another female author.
1: And this one, it's the first in a series, but it's not the first in this world she's created.
0: So this is the second.
1: I believe it's the second series in the world. There's just another one she has. I haven't looked into her other books too much.
0: Okay. Once again, you can find us at nerdbookreview.com.
1: Or email us at nerdbookreview at gmail.com.
0: We would love it if you emailed us and let us know what you think.
1: Or just troll us. Yes. We're fine with
0: being trolled as well. (laughs) Once again, the same shtick that we have been giving you for a couple weeks now. If you would rate and review us, we would absolutely love it.
1: Yep. Definitely appreciate it.
0: We will see you in two weeks.
1: Have a good week.
0: Have a good one.